Welcome to Sex Ed with Misty. My name is Misty Galbraith, and I am a sex educator and intimacy coach. I have been trained through ICE, the Institute for Sexuality Education and Enlightenment. I come with a unique conservative slash liberal perspective on sexuality. So let's have some comfortable talks about potentially uncomfortable topics. Let's find pleasure in all its forms while holding on to our inner integrity and values. We can learn to love the body we've been gifted with, whether we are fat, skinny, light, dark, queer, straight, or any combination that fits you. The real, amazing, extraordinary you. Here we are again. We have Aerie and Ashton, and I am Misty, and we are going to talk about what is sex. Our last couple episodes that we have been discussing have been about exchange sex, and that brought us kind of full circle to, well, really, what is sex? There are lots In the context of exchange and transactions, right? Yes, or just in, yeah. Or just in general, also. Um, Yeah, at what point are you no longer making out and having sex? Mm. That's kind of where I'm coming at it from. So even more like specific, like inner course and outer course. Uh, Yes, and I just think it's just funny in some conservative cultures how they write cute country music songs about using the back door so that they don't have to have sex. (laughs) (laughs) If I can say that tastefully enough for you to know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> so we're kind of we're kind of coming at it and also from the idea of as a, a continuation, a little bit of our exchange sex discussion, um, because we've realized how much exchange sex happens in our very ordinary, what we would say, ordinary traditional families. And relationships. Or how sometimes sex is happening, but we're not calling it sex because it's soaking and jump hopping. Yes. That popped into my head. Um, right. So let's let's just talk about the whole... I was having a discussion with a friend recently who was... Um, who I'm going to try to remain anonymous about, I think. <laughs> but who was discussing the new terminology of BYU students currently. This was a current discussion last week, and they are not having sex. They are what's called docking and soaking. So as long as the penis enters the vagina and doesn't move, it is docking. Once it has been sitting there for five minutes, it is then considered soaking. Good to know. And that is not having sex. So, so in I mean, some realms of thought. So in some realms of thought, precisely because then when we think back to you. But know, why do they feel forced to have these definitions? Oh, yeah. Right. So let's right. just kind of unravel that mm-hmm. that whole thing too, right? Because they're being held to what they called standards, and standards to them are high and lofty and moral and important, and they want to carry the tradition. They they believe what they believe and they enjoy it. They embrace it. They want to go to this private institution that forbids them from having sex, so they don't have sex. They dock and they soak instead. My first reaction to that conversation was, 
how is that even possible for a college-age student to have that much control? Right. <laughs> I mean, holy to cow. all the way there. Who are these move. supermen who can do that <laughs> <laughs> and not move? <laughs> and women. And, and not yeah. move. Yeah. <laughs> and not. <Fear. laughs> I mean, wow. That was my first reaction because... Oof, that would have never been possible for me. As My first reaction is yikes, because the, all the same, like, dangers of, not dangers, but just the conce- the natural consequences that come with having sex with Pregnancy, someone is STIs, still inherently there. Right, yeah, the medical. Right, right, STIs, I mean, Pre-comments docking, being... soaking, doesn't matter. You like If you have any kind of penetration, any kind of oral sex, like you're opening yourself up to the whole world of sexually transmitted diseases well yeah because oral sex they already that's old that's old time they've been doing that for ages so this is taking it to the next level because oral sex doesn't count either also don't understand that right also still inherent risk for sexually transmitted diseases and so i feel like folks do not understand they do not understand that genital rubbing against genital when anything is leaking which if you're rubbing genitals and you're into each other stuff is leaking probably will be and and you are still going to be and i even hate to use the term at risk you're going to be exposing yourself Mm -hmm. to pregnancy and STIs, which really are just infections like the cold or the flu, right? Let's try to destigmatize right. STI. It's, it's not a disease. That's not you are episode. not dying of it. You right. are right. Let's right. call it what it is. You're not diseased. Exactly. And uh, yeah. So yeah, the definition of really. So let's talk about that. Well, like yeah. Uh, to, What's your reaction? To flush it out. It's. It seems like when we create a society that's so unwilling to talk about the complex issues going on, whether it's in transactional sex or just regular consensual sex between two, like, adults, um, we create this vacuum where they just start making up their own terms and their own, you know... Does it make the sex go away? No. Does it keep kids from having sex? (laughs) Does it keep girls from getting pregnant? I can promise you it doesn't. No, no, no. In (laughs) fact, it elevates the enticement in so many ways. Well, it it elevates the enticement and it it elevates the ability and space to create their own loopholes. Yes. I was, you know, I was getting away with having sex or having outer course. I'm borrowing Natasha Helper, I think her term yes I was having outer course feeling like I was safe in different times in the of morality my life. zone of life in the morality safe from hell or, or safe I, also, from... I was feeling like okay I'm not having actual like um intercourse and so therefore like prostitution wise I think I'm in a gray zone where I'm safe which is not true you know and I mean safe not just legally but safe um, from the exposure to STIs. Um, and, and that wasn't true either, but I didn't know any better. Right. But you thought this, that her, let's talk about who Natasha Helfer is. She's, yes. she's a fabulous sex therapist who's been working in Salt Lake for 20 plus years. Um, she has recently been in the news because she was forcibly excommunicated from the Mormon church with, again, without wanting to be. She was truly trying to bridge the worlds of classical, um, research-based, well-informed, 
current sex therapy within the morality of the Mormon church ideals with folks who want to be actively Mormon as she wanted to continue to be. And she was a little too loud and a little too abrasive and, and seen and um all common common problems with women a little too loud (laughs) a little too seen yes and um, she's probably profiting from her work making making an income right and and she was quite devastated i was in a class um with her last month for three hours um discussing her experience and those of the rest of the Mormon Mental Health Association who are trying to help Mormon youth and folks in our communities um, come to grips with their sexual identity and uh, and start to find start to talk about pleasure. When does sex education ever talk about pleasure? It only talks about the risks, the dangers, the the fears. Why can't we start approaching sex education with the idea of pleasure in mind? Right, and that um, specifically helps broaden a definition of what sex is for me because it's not about penetration or... A specific act occurring It's not, or not any occurring. specific act. It's yes. about that pleasure. It's about the intimacy. It's about maybe you're building to something else. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're going to keep it where it is. But it just really opens up this whole world of you know, what is, I mean, I don't want to say sex work because sex work is politically designed for a very specific group of people, but in a broad, I guess sex work in the broader sense, the sex work that we're all doing in our lives all the time. Yeah. The exchange sex Mm -hmm. that we're doing in our lives. Yeah. Could we call it exchanging pleasure and people would start talking about it more? That is an interesting idea. I think so. I think if we just simply started using a different vocabulary surrounding sex education and called it sex pleasure, you know, finding pleasure in our lives, it, we would destigmatize. It doesn't have to be about the sex. In fact, it rarely is about the sex. It's almost always about all the other things surrounding the sex. It's not about a physical act. It's about the connections that are being formed. It's about the vulnerability that you're willing to show. It's about reaching out. It's about connecting. It's about spending time. It's about showing up in the way that's comfortable for you that may or may not include romantic behaviors. It may or may not include physical touch and kissing. It may include full-on penetrative sex. Whatever it means to you to show up in seeking and developing your pleasure in life, why can't we just talk about it? And if we encourage that exploration and encourage people to figure out what it means to them, like we're, pro- I mean, you're promoting healthy boundaries. Healthy for behaviors. To what's good for them, what's not good for them, what's going to make them feel better, what's not. I mean, it's really just a way to help lift up this cloud. Like we've kind of just clouded everybody's vision, like pushed sex into this corner. It's very scary. It's very taboo. Only the really deviant people are going to dabble around in there. And we just know that's not true. Like it's everybody's having sex. That's just always been true. Right. I was talking to another friend recently who said, um, the reason that kink is such a big thing in Utah County, which it really is a big thing in Utah County, is because everybody pushes sex into the closet. And it has to be closeted, it can't be talked about, even to marry between married folks. 
Um, people think they're doing a good thing by not talking about it, by not exposing people to these ideas. But I just think that's, it's so dangerous not to talk about stuff, not to figure out what you want. Just like close it all in and it turns inside. And then people, and like we see with this, you know, and they don't want to talk about sex. We don't, we don't ask those questions here, whatever it might be. But then you see the hypersexualization that occurs in the same communities. People get like really twisted about sex and nudity and modesty. And Those all all of a sudden, hand in like hand. sexual harassment and assault just like spikes in these communities, and the, people are still too ashamed to address that and to talk about that. But that's happening. In, like the hypersexualization of human bodies is happening in direct correlation with the patriarchy pushing their foot, like pressing the brake so hard on the sex conversation, and it's just it's insidious. In cultures where they do talk more openly about sex, have lower teenage pregnancy occurrences. They have lower instances of STIs. They, they have better, um, just better normalized sexuality overall as a culture. And some westernized conservative views look at those as deviant cultures. I look at those as healthy cultures right <laughs> because it can be talked about and um yeah so let's talk a little bit about your experiences Ari in the Japanese culture with geishas and the definition around sex yeah um I don't have experience with like, knowledge let's call yeah, it knowledge. but I, I have some some understanding and um it's kind of interesting so there just are a lot of differences from the Japanese side um, in the sense that, for starters, like gay manga and anime cartoons and comic books, like gay romances are actually really prevalent in media in Japan. Um, they're actually in the ladies comics section of a bookstore um, and it is gay romance written for women and so like there's just like one kind of random <laughs> you wouldn't think that a, um, a community that is as conservative and patriarchal as Japan is to have kind of this okayness around um, gay relationships um, the are they male to male female to female both mixed when you say gay what are you referring oh, to oh I'm talking homosexual okay. gay romance stories for mm -hmm. women. I mean, there's the prevalence of, of lesbian relationships and trans things, um, and it is just more accepted, or at least more prevalent. And um, actually, when I learned about trans people, it was because I was seeing trans people on TV. Hmm. Um, there are some famous trans people. Um, there's a person named Iko-san, who is uh, like a beautician, makeup artist, like really, you know, she's in commercials all over the place on, on TV shows, talk shows, um, totally normal. Um, there is, uh, Matsuko who has several of her own TV shows, very well known, accepted by all generations as an interesting person that they love listening to and, and seeing her in things. And she's just treated like a normal person in society. Um, and she's trans. And she's trans. Well, she's... I don't know exactly what 
she presents female and was born male. Okay. And actually, kind of in a weird twist, they were, they were, one time I was watching TV and they were doing like 10 most popular male celebrities and Mutskull was actually in the male section. <laughs> and it was kind of weird because I was like, here she is coming in at like number two. Uh. <laughs> and everybody else I, is presenting male except for her. Uh, but it's the it's like what the Olympics yeah. is going to turn into at <laughs> some point. Yeah, yeah right. we're going to end up with some trans <laughs> issues. Going. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's you know it just from that aspect, there okay. is a little bit more room hmm. um, for people to just be and to present. Um, so then, kind of coming into okay, let's talk about how sex work has shown up in Japanese culture. Um, geishas were not prostitutes. Um, then, like, geishas being sort of turned into prostitutes happens um, around the westernization of Japan, um, the modernization, or you could call it Western modernization. Post-World War II Japan. Yeah. It, I, think, I think it starts showing up um, once kind of Westerners are coming to Japan, okay. but it really takes off after the war when men are looking to have sex with you know, Japanese women, what is more Japanese than this beautiful geisha who is very prized in some circles of society in Japan, um, but they can't have sex with her. But a prostitute can make herself look like a, a geisha and say she's a geisha and then have sex with you. And so you end up getting these, you know, oh, I had sex with so many geishas while in Japan. Well, they weren't really geishas. Because mm, <laughs> geishas were, don't have sex. Um, they do. I mean, all... You know, most people have sex, but under very different terms. And that's where it's really difficult because we're having to bridge between different cultural nuances when talking about. So one might say, yes, geishas are prostitutes because sometimes they would have sex with their clients. But it's not the same as prostitution being a very transactional these are the services I provide. These as this is how much it costs for these services. Which would you like? Mm-hmm. You know that's a very easy to understand transactional view of prostitution. When you get into the world of geishas or escorting, you have women who will have relationships with men, non-sexual relationships, um, that are, you know, maybe they just enjoy each other's company or. You know, this guy just, he loves to shower this woman with gifts and... Or have somebody to take to dinner. Yeah. And separately, maybe they have a relationship in where they do have consensual sex. But it is not a rigid sort of transactional occurrence. You could, looking at the way relationships have happened in um, Japan, say that geishas actually have more freedom and autonomy than wives in Japan. For a long time, to become a wife to a man in Japan was to become his property. You cannot cannot (laughs) say no to your husband, but a geisha can say no to a to a client. And so is that really the same? as prostitution and that's kind of where we get the complex thing and you bring up a really good point in the united states it was not so long ago that a man 
could not rape his wife because she belonged to him. And um, I want to say it's what within the past hundred years that that actually changed. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, it's probably more recent than that, even. So, <laughs> if marrying, if marrying your husband in the U.S. is granting him rights to your body, is that not just as much of a transaction as prostitution? He's also expected by society to purchase a home and provide food for you and your children that expectation is just as much placed on him as your expectation to give up sex to him. I mean, that is closer to prostitution than being a geisha in Japan. So a lot of women chose this life of being a geisha or a Michael because it actually gave them a lot more freedom in their own lives. Okay, that's an interesting point. Um, there's, There's a... A little something that somebody wrote to me recently <laughs> Sorry, that we're trying to bring up there we go that I can read um, the whole discussion around a woman being sexually available for her husband uh, this comes up a lot um, and we talked a little bit about I'm making a little bit of a shift here but we talked about in the, in the beginning of this episode, what is sex? So that let's extend that into a marriage. Um, what is sex in a marriage? Um, when does sex really count as sex in a marriage? Um, and our general jef- definition is if penetration doesn't happen, then you didn't have sex, right? And uh, I guess it's a little more questionable in the dating or non-married world perhaps a question of when are you actually having sex and when aren't you but there's so many issues and problems surrounding sex within marriage that maybe we need to look at that definition carried into not just marriage but long-term relationships right Um, partnered relationships of any kind they can be heterosexual or queer or married or not married or polyamorous or anything else and when um, there's really gosh there's just so many times that sex becomes the problem in a relationship right there's expectations around what it involves and if there's not communication happening nobody knows what the expectation is so you know when is when how often how much? <laughs> Where is, should kind? it take place? What kind? With whom? I mean, this, <laughs> this kind of lack of understanding and lack of vocabulary and conversation around what sex is and how it should occur is the same kind of problem that you see in the world of prostitution and escorting. You said we're talking about something different, but we're really not. Right. It's It's totally applicable. Right. And it's basically unpaid labor in Western capitalist society. This realization that the wife or the female partner is supposed to give up sex, it's part of the unpaid labor that's an expectation in the relationship. Which... Is it unpaid? I was just going to say, I don't, I don't know if it is unpaid, actually. <laughs> right. Because it's just because they're not giving you a sack of cash or a check at the end doesn't mean that they're not paying your rent and paying for the food on your table. 
Right. So I feel like we're entering into a little bit of this toxic masculinity mindset where that's not where we're going, folks. Let's let's step back and give the men in this picture the benefit of the doubt and just say, indeed, they are providing so many things in exchange for sex, <laughs> right? And indeed, it is happening. And quite often we don't acknowledge the folks in our lives who are providing all of the other things for us. And for some reason we think it's okay to withhold sex from the equation because this need or that need or this thing wasn't accomplished exactly the way it should have been. So we start to weaponize sex. And I don't know any place that we weaponize sex more than in marriage it becomes a withholding tool for either side, either or. Um, kind of a power struggle, this whole exchange of sex uh, becomes, yeah, becomes a dynamic that can be problematic when not treated with tenderness and care and love and respect and all the things that we hope are happening in relationships. Um, but sex within a marriage, it can mean something different than just penetrative sex. Just like in the, when we talked about in the beginning with the, with the college students or in the dating world. Um, maybe what your partner really wants is cuddles. You know, and we have so much built up expectation around, oh, it's been a week. We got to do the, the pokey poke thing or it doesn't, you know, I'm not doing my job or I'm not getting my payment or whatever it is. When in reality, you know, maybe you would have more intimacy in your relationship if you let go of the idea of having to have so much sex. Or just having a, a broader definition of what sex is. Right. And yeah. include intimacy and pleasure in the discussion. Right. Which is why I love the intercourse and outer course. There is such this idea of well, he didn't really get to have sex, you know, or she didn't really lose her virginity. It's like, well, why does that matter? Did they just, did they get to have pleasure? <laughs> did they enjoy each other? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you connect on that more intimate level on a different, I feel like it's, sex is definitely a different kind of interaction than what you're going to have with just like a, your really good friend, unless of course you're having sex with your really good friend. But it doesn't have to go, I mean, you don't even have to take your clothes off. You don't got to touch each other. But I still would consider some of those interactions as part of sex because they're part of the stimulant for you. They're part of the motivation, the drive. It's part of what makes you feel good. And that's just so much bigger than the biology of it. So much of it has to do with our personalities and our backgrounds and where we come from and really understanding the people that you're connecting with. And in that way, I think that prostitutes might have the most... Like, they, they might meet people on a level that their spouse never never will. Like, you're going to know something about someone, about who they really are in a way that they might not ever be able to open up to the closest people in their lives about. And that's just... There is a hilarious scene in Arrested Development. Did you ever watch Arrested Development? Parts of it. Yeah. Funny of show. Yeah. But there's this... The, the brother who's not really serious about anything work-wise becomes boss of this company for a day and he decides to hire a prostitute for all the employees. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And they cut to the scene where this prostitute's just sitting there and every man is just talking and crying about his problems. <laughs> <laughs> as, as all these employees are going in to, you know, be with the prostitute, they're just sitting there talking about their feelings. <laughs> and But it's kind of this very, like, I want to say when I first saw that, I don't know exactly the timeline of Arrested Development, but I feel like I saw that before I really got into sex work. And then I watched it again later um, because they did a reboot of the series. <clears throat> and I saw that scene again and I was like, oh, no, that's that's actually kind of true. What happens, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we better have sex. But really what I'm here for is... <laughs> right, just to be able to... Could you to validate me as a man? Could I just yeah. have this exchange and well, not... <laughs> and I, I kind of want to dis- make a distinction between validate me as a man... And validate me as myself. Yes. A lot of the times they're coming so that you can value, validate them as themselves. Because they you know, they feel such a drive to put up the front of I'm a man in all of the ways that society expects me to be. And then, and then they go to their, their hooker and they're like, okay, I actually want you to be you know, more aggressive in the bedroom. You be in charge. I want you, you to be, be in charge. charge. Let me just lay here and yeah. enjoy pleasure and have no expectations of me. Exactly. And I don't care if you have an orgasm or not. It's not my job to make that happen because I'm paying you money. And well, it's not... m- m- men don't actually give women orgasms for the most part. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but I'm knowledge. saying they perceive that as part of their job as the man, ladies first, Do right? We, he- we hear this in Mormon <laughs> culture. I hear this talked around the fire at the picnics <gasps> I go to. We hear this in the culture, ladies first, right? Let's make sure that lady has her pleasure before the man Do gets to have his. That, do you feel that in the Mormon circles that there is a lot of pressure put on men to make sure their wives are having orgasms first? I do. Indeed. In fact, as soon as I bring up the fact, in fact, when I bring (laughs) up the fact that I'm a sex educator, without fail, within five seconds, somebody is talking to me about their cold fish ex-wife, right? And how they just never wanted to have sex. Now, there's a lot of different roads that that discussion ends up going down, right? Because there's a lot of reason that they perceive their ex-wife as being a cold fish. Some of it may have been they forgot about the rule of ladies go first or ladies matter or, you know, simple like that. things like Just that. Simple things like Your that. Your stuff's but, mattering. But on the other hand, there are men who were really trying and they find it curious why they weren't enough for their wives. They're like, I always put her first. I always loved her. I'm really... I valued her so much and yet I wasn't enough. Well, she's probably bisexual. Well, I mean, right... <laughs> How Only can you so be enough you can to do, a woman honey. who's traumatized about her sexuality or sexual orientation? Yes, <laughs> yes. Right up that. until they run off with their best friend's husband or their yes. coworker right. but then or some other man. They just it turn to another man. Yeah, right. It wasn't that you couldn't. It was just that they had. I mean, they just had someone else on their mind, and that's what that, that just right. But why were they not enough? Why was the sex that they were giving you not enough? I mean. You know? If, if my own experience has shed a little light, like a lot of the times, uh, you know, the men might be trying, but I'm just giving them a show to get it done with. 
Right, right. And so are their wives who end up being cold fish in 20 years. They're also putting on a show. They're not truly communicating. Mm -hmm. Right. They're faking their orgasms. It's a catch-22. I mean, the husbands are may genuinely be trying. Right. But the the whole system is built in such a convoluted and misdirected way that you end up two people trying for the in the wrong ways for the wrong reasons or whatever and you end up with just like lots of dysfunctional marriages which is why it's so important to understand what sex is mm-hmm. and understand what sex is for you because that yeah, also might change or in your partner's definition what yeah. does sex like exploring that instead of just accepting at face value that this is what sex means for everybody uh, could just be really beneficial to open it up. Even if you've been married for 30 years, just like, hey, you know, I figure it's better late than ever. Let's have this conversation. Get it going. Right. And that is such a hard conversation to start for so many folks. It is so valuable if you have a friend or somebody that you can talk to to practice that conversation. <laughs> or if there was like a woman in Utah who helped people <laughs> talk get about educated. sex? I think she's called Missy Galbraith. <laughs> yeah, come I see think me. we're on her podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I practice those conversations all the time with yes. folks. I play whoever, whatever partner needs to be played. I play that partner to the hilt, and we practice just saying it out loud so that you can actually hear what those words sound like. And maybe you're a person who can't even say that out loud yet to your partner, but you can at least say it out loud to me, and that's okay. That's mm-hmm. the stage, that's the step that you're at. And I think a really helpful step you can provide for people is when they disclose the things that they find sexy mm-hmm. um, or sexual, you know, kind of being a sounding board where you can talk to them about it and they can say, well, right. I really like watching my husband or wife or partner do this. Mm-hmm. But it's not the traditional, you know, form of sex. Maybe I like watching them pick their nose. It turns me on. Maybe I like watching them go to the bathroom. That that is very, very, very common, folks. It's very, very common. Pee, especially. Right, especially. And yet, you know, if you approach your partner with that, you might get the immediate yuck response, right? And so, and indeed, it really might be yuck to them, unfortunately, with our cultural whatevers that we're bringing into the conversation. But what I have found more often than not is people, women, underestimate their husbands in their curiosity. And men underestimate their wives. Spouses underestimate each other all the time. Yes, And, and what is an okay, fun, playful discussion. And that's the thing about it. If we can keep it on a curiosity fun, playful level instead of, all right, we have to sit down and talk about this. I really want to see you pee, right? I mean, how fun does that discussion sound? Oh, you pervert. Let's go. Yeah, we're done. I'm taking the kids. And unfortunately, some of those conversations end up like that. And it, and that's okay too, right? I mean... At least you said it. At, at least, least you said it and owned yourself and right. whatever it is. And a lot of folks try different things. They try on different hats. But whether you... And, you know, we're going to need... We're working... I'm working my way into having some very interesting conversations about monogamy and about polyamory. And a lot of folks work their way into situations where 
they're trying out new things in new ways, but they're still not communicating. And so they're damaging their relationship. No matter what form your relationship, your marriage, your whatever it takes, whether it's polyamorous or monogamous, do not apologize for that. And be secure in knowing that if you can communicate, then you're gonna be okay. <laughs> but if you're already perpetuating the roles of not communicating openly, it's not gonna work. <laughs> whatever option that you take and whatever you're exploring, unless you're on equal footing with communicating with your partners, chances are you're gonna crash and burn in whatever whatever form of relationship that you're trying to shift into. Shifting in an already preset relationship is very difficult, but we can always try. Yeah. <laughs> I, we can always try to be open. And if you're trying and you're trying to be open to communicating and talking, you are never going to fail. Things may not, may not have your desired outcome. That doesn't mean you failed. You can learn to ask for what you want when having sex. I'm going to repeat that. Learn to ask for what you want when having sex. I promise that in the long run, it's a worthwhile investment to have those conversations. If you notice something, if you want to have set as, I mean, I've been setting sexy goals my whole adult life uh, since being married. <laughs> and, um, it's okay to have sexy goals. And my partner was down with most of those sexy goals, right? It was something that we could talk about openly. Can we add to your sexy goals? Like, it's okay to have a sexy goal that you try out or a sexy thing that you try out and decide it's not for you. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Also, and also realize that when your partner shares a sexy fantasy with you, that does not mean your partner wants to act that out in real life. Fantasy does not have to equal reality. Yes. And I think we get super nervous when, uh, I have such a good illustration of this, when right on waking up, I told my partner exactly what I had just been dreaming. And it was just this kind of cool, erotic fantasy thing. And once I came fully awake and realized I had already told him that dream, I was kind of like a little bit alarmed at myself for being that open. And it was kind of, you know, crazy and whatever. And then I realized, wait, it's okay. It's just a dream. It's just a fantasy. It's just, you know, but all of my armor went on. And I was like, oh, geez, I think I overshared. And oh, I don't know if I should have said that. And right. And so yeah. we should feel safe enough with our partners, with our spouses, with our whatever's that we have to be able to acknowledge we can be a little playful and curious and yeah. talk about things and it doesn't have to threaten the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And being open to hearing somebody, even even if your initial reaction is yuck, like having the devotion and care for a person to like move past your initial response to something and like listen to the meta message of what someone's asking from you, like or how I'm could we asking, work with this? Is yes, there a different how way we, we can look at this? That? Like, because they're yeah. asking to for you to help increase their pleasure, and that's just such an important and beautiful thing to ask somebody for and to trust somebody with. Mm -hmm. And I, I have this little like mental thing. Anytime I have a big gut reaction to something, I ask, "Is it a no or is it just new? Is it something that I've never thought about and I've never experienced and it's brand new?" And that that feeling is very woe sometimes. Or is this like hard foot on the brake? Absolutely, this is a no for me. Because so much more of the time, it's just something you haven't experienced or explored or 
you know, talked about. So even if you do have that yuck, maybe like, maybe bite your tongue a little, that could be useful and just use that search talk and ask questions of where does that come from for your person? Where, you know, why are they asking for that? Why aren't they, why are they missing that? And don't have that sense of urgency that you must decide right in the moment. Exactly. Allow space for digestion. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty, you should definitely set that boundary too. Never, never drop new sexual experiences or requests on somebody in the moment or in the act, act of sex. Have these conversations outside of sex when you, when it's just lower stakes, it's more comfortable. And then, then you, yeah, you can see, see how, how it feels for you. And then don't feel afraid to tell them to let it marinate. Like, you know. Let's think about it. Let's talk about it again tomorrow or in a couple of days. I just need to sit with that. and You can always process. You can say, I just need to process that for a minute. Right. And, and really mean it and really take the chance to process. I want to add, so some of the, like, some of the things that um, are like the, the red flag issues in a relationship um, in this, I'm talking specifically about Utah County. Um, you know, these, these cultural red flags of, oh, I, you know, oral sex was such a, a difficult issue however many years ago in monogamous relationships. It still is a difficult issue in monogamous relationships in Utah County. Yet you have all these people premarital having oral sex because they think it's the way that they can get around the fact that they're having sex. But so I wasn't they, one of them. But... <laughs> Um, my, my point is, under the right circumstances, we might be more explorative and creative than other circumstances. So sometimes the issue is not, um, like the real issue around oral sex sometimes is not, I you know, oh, oral sex is a yuck for me. It's oral sex with this person is a yuck for me. Or oral sex, because I feel like I'm being pressured into doing it, is a yuck for me. It's not the oral sex. It's the fact that like your husband is really, really pressuring you to do this thing that you aren't quite sure about. And the yuck is the fact yeah, that we're being unconsensually pressured into it. Yeah, and so, right. you know, let's also kind of remember to, that the con- set and setting or the context is really important to helping us understand is this our yuck or is this a yum for us like um i mean we've got girls who are having anal sex at like byu because it's their way of getting around having sex right right exactly (laughs) whereas like you end up with these relationships of people that have been married for so long and women being like no i'm not going to try that and i'm like you know under the right set and setting there are women who are choosing anal sex over vaginal sex, maybe for the wrong reason. <laughs> right, but there are also flat-out women who prefer that. So right. it's, it, right, and initially, you know, 20 years ago, I would have had a different thought about yeah. anal sex than I have today. Right. right? Allow yourself development, mm-hmm. allow your sign, digestion time, growth, experimentation, yeah. playfulness. And, and keep, a, keep an open mind in your digestion time for the things that aren't that aren't sexual, that might be affecting the sexual thing. Yes. Because... It might simply be your belief that it's wrong and evil. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of times, (laughs) that is the underlying problem of the context. If you want to maintain that belief, then that is totally your thing to do. Right. If you decide that you don't want to maintain that belief because it doesn't align with what you want to do, then... 
have the like mindfulness and the space to try putting that on the shelf for a little bit and exploring and give your partner time to catch up um i see this i see this over and over again where somebody will spring you know by the way i'm by curious and you know i just got to do this thing and they don't and and then there's a time pressure and there's this time cap and there's all kinds of feelings from the partner that they're not enough and it has nothing to do with the partner and everything to do about a person's identity and their orientation <laughs> and nothing to do with their partner but the partner can't seem to get past it anyway jealousy is a thing in all forms of relationships yeah. jealousy uncomfortableness surrounding sexuality talking about it being naked it's a human experience they it doesn't just happen supernaturally just like not every woman who gives birth can just naturally breastfeed right it's just not a, a consequence of getting naked with somebody right um, and it's okay it's okay to be uncomfortable but I tell you if you value your partner and your connection it's worth the uncomfortable moment it takes to have the conversation and yourself you and may yourself. not be you may not be having sex with someone else you might just be having sex with yourself exactly man you, I haven't said that once this time that's usually my byline by yeah, your word <laughs> Exploring, exploring your own pleasure mm -hmm. yes absolutely um there's something that i forgot that i really wanted to bring up in the very beginning actually okay which um the importance of consent as well as that context um i think i've seen a lot of damage done where um and this i don't necessarily think this is damage but this is a story that helps illustrate illustrate what okay. i'm trying to say um, when my sister like was young woman's age, my dad started getting really paranoid about her always making sure that like her window was closed when she was changing, um, making sure that the door was locked and like started just putting so much like fear around the possibility that she was going to be seen. Hypersexualizing her body. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And... And she became, she, like, she wears like seven layers of clothes at any given time. Like, it's a little bit. It's like a trauma response. It is. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. that's the word I was looking for. It's, it, she's very kind of traumatized to this idea of being an, um, modest and sort of keeping herself safe mm -hmm. from all these perceived things. I mean, Threats. We then. lived on the top floor of this. Um, apartment complex that didn't have any other buildings that there's like, no way people could have even seen I mean, her like, anyway if they, right? if they had seen her she was probably just this little gray shadowed speck <laughs> in a wind like you know but yeah. all this speaks to the psychology unnecessary though. fear of mm -hmm. being seen mm -hmm. as sexual and um so i think it's really important for us to sort of bring that into when we start looking at okay what does sex mean for us and what sex things do I want to explore do I want to consent to you know you might accidentally turn someone into an exhibitionist because you overly sexualize the possibility of them being seen um, not that there's anything wrong with being an exhibitionist I just mean that like we shape sex for people around us all the time by the way that we respond to things because we don't usually have just sort of a oh 
that's interesting. Let's explore that kind of reaction. We usually have a very, oh no, that's terrible. Or, oh no, that's wonderful. Like Mm -hmm. we usually have such reactions to things. And that's why I really think it's so important to have someone like Misty to have conversations with. Um, I was a sex worker for like, you know, five, six years. And I'm still finding there are lots of things that I need to process in a safe space with a sex educator or counselor so that I can pull down the things that no longer serve me that were kind of thrust into my worldview um, and my sex view and rebuild some of my own things that I want for myself and for my relationships. So that sex can equal pleasure in your life. Yeah. And that's really what I want to come down to is sex should mean whatever you want it to mean. And please let it include pleasure in your life. And whatever version of that serves you, then embrace that and enjoy that. And please communicate that, whether it's with yourself or with one partner or several partners, whatever stage of life you're at, whether you're still young and exploring your body or whether you're old and still exploring your body may you ever (laughs) enjoy exploring your body and your and your tastes and your sensations because they do evolve with time and they change and they morph uh, with different partners and different light stages and different things that our bodies as women go through oh my goodness our bodies as women and they have such great potential And I hope that we continue to explore that potential and push the boundaries of our pleasure and welcome more and more and more pleasure into our lives as we are able to break down those walls of mistrust and shame and guilt and some of the other just unfairness that has been dealt us as women uh, throughout our lives and find access to the real powerful pleasure that we can have as women. You're here. Brilliant. Anything else? Okay, good. Thank you for joining us again.